Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we will be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 5th, 2019, including Gears 5 will include a map 50 times larger than any previous Gears of War level. Ghostwire Tokyo creative director Ikumi Nakamura leaves Tango Gameworks, and Ubisoft vice president believes that Steam's business model is unrealistic. All that and more coming up right now. Gears 5 launch day, sort of, to all of you Xbox fans out there. Uh, if you're listening to, on launch, if you're listening to this on the day to release, September 5th, this is the evening in which Gears 5 launches. For those of you that have either pre ordered Ultimate Edition or who have Game Pass Ultimate, which by the way, I will just mention this if you don't already have Game Pass Ultimate, right now they're running a deal where it's $2 for two months of Game Pass Ultimate, which would immediately net you, you know, Xbox Live, Game Pass, and of course, Gears 5, early access. So if you want to play Gears 5 today, go get two months of Game Pass Ultimate for $2 if you don't already have it. Uh, It will take any existing Xbox Live or Game Pass membership and turn it into Xbox Ultimate. So for example, I was paying month to month for Game Pass, uh, and I had like a year and a half of Xbox Live like stacked up from like discounted gift cards I had. Um, and I was able to just upgrade all of that to Game Pass Ultimate for $2. So it's an incredible deal. It's like I just tweeted out earlier today, that is literally the greatest deal in video game history I can think of. So definitely jump on that if you haven't already. Uh, And with that said, let's get into the news. Now kicking off this week's news, we've got a story about Gears 5, where the Coalition head, Rod Ferguson, has confirmed that Gears 5 Uh, includes a map that is 50 times larger than any previous Gears of War level. So what he said was, quote, during this is during a PAX West panel. He says, quote, what players will see in Act 2 and Act 3 of the campaign is that you'll be able to use the skiff to traverse the the largest levels we've ever built. You know, in some cases, the levels are 50 times bigger than any previous Gears level. So we kind of got into this a little bit last week where someone asked him a question on Twitter uh, about, you know, if if any of the world would be a little more open-ended if there'd be some more exploration to which he kind of confirmed that you know skiffs would be something you could use to traverse some open like wider more open spaces Uh, and now we have a little more confirmation as well as like some i guess rough concept as to what what exactly that means um so you know if you've read any of the earlier views of the game or if you know you've heard this quote then you'll know that that gears 5 is kind of pushing boundaries a little bit in the sense that it's it's really messing with the formula of what a classic gears game is and that there'll be more open world-esque spaces it will kind of ditch the classic structure of like the five act thing and then also just there's some new gameplay kind of elements is very story driven things like that so i'm really excited to get into this game tonight because you know we're going to experience a gears game that was that is quite different from anything we've experienced before uh, you know as someone whose favorite gears game is Gears 4, I will admit, the one, I don't know if you want to consider this a downside, but Gears 4 was 
very much a classic Gears game in the kind of eight to nine hour, uh, five act kind of structure of linear third person cover based shooter type of game. But Gears 5 looks like it's going to be that, but kind of a, a kind of evolution of that. So I'm excited to see what Gears 5 does to reinvent while staying true uh, to its original kind of formula. So, I mean, and, and then, of course, in addition to the kind of more open-ended stuff, there's also going to be some side quests slash collectible-esque content in the game, which is also another kind of interesting thing. I guess there's always been kind of collectibles, like you can collect cog tags and things like that, but I'm interested to see what side quests or like open-ended levels look like in a Gears of War game, um, especially for a, a game that's just so historically linear. But yeah, and then one final thing that, you know, Rod Ferguson talks about in this PAX West panel is that another like new introduction or new thing to the game is that players will have the ability to kind of choose when to initiate combat rather than just like always being like kind of funneled into a combat scenario. And then he, Rod Ferguson elaborated on the newly refreshed uh, companion bot, Jack, who has the ability to cloak players so that they can avoid fights when they want to. So that'll be cool if they're like, I can see how that's beneficial for either a like players who are stuck in a situation in the game where like it's challenging. They want to like skip through the next section. So they avoid the combat, but I'm also interested to see like, how how much like non-combat stuff you can do in this game because i i am a fan of kind of like i I feel like every action game gets to a point there's always at least one segment where it's a little long in the tooth with like combat so if you can like shake things up and make it a little stealthy or just avoid a combat scenario altogether i think that can help uh if you ever find yourself in a situation where it just seems like the the ratio of like exploration or puzzle solving or uh, cutscene to gameplay ratio is just a little out of whack. That way, you can kind of spice up the gameplay yourself by opting out of a combat scenario. So, n- another interesting note. But this is the last bit of speculation we're going to have to have on anything Gears War related because next week, when our next episode comes out, I'll have played it, and I assume most of you will as well. Uh, and then we'll be able to talk about our thoughts and opinions on Gears 5. So, moving into our next story, uh, Microsoft's upcoming game streaming service, Project X Cloud, will begin early testing in October in North America, uh, Europe, and Asia. As infrastructure continues to ramp up for this revolutionary mobile gaming solution, Microsoft has partnered with South Korean telecommunications mega giant SK Telecom. Not only does this expand the area that Microsoft will be testing Project xCloud, but it will also allow the Redmond tech company to test out Korea's 5G capabilities. Per this deal with uh, SK Telecommunications, customers of SK Telecom will be among the first to test Project xCloud services. A huge get for Microsoft, as the company has traditionally struggled to gain footing in Asian nations when it comes to gaming in particular. Phil Spencer, in regards to this news, uh, said, quote, Partnerships like the one we've announced today with SK Telecom are critical to continuing the trajectory and moving the game industry forward, starting with the incredibly engaged gamers and game studios in South Korea. So... The reason why this is really important for Microsoft is is twofold, right? Xbox as a brand has always really struggled in Asia. I mean, like, you know, people always joke about how no matter how hard Xbox tries, it's always like just a, a, it's not even like a part of the conversation in like Japan in particular as it is here. You know, here we talk about Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, whereas in a lot of Asian markets, the conversation is literally just Sony, Nintendo, nothing else, particularly Japan. Uh, but what you get a lot, especially in like China and Korea, is very PC mobile heavy um, gaming experience experiences, particularly no really console gaming at all. Um, so this is just obviously a really awesome way for Microsoft to utilize 
the kind of hardware that the South Korean population is already using for games, but initiate them and kind of get them onto the Xbox brand and Xbox platform via, you know, smartphones, computers, whatever they're going to use for xCloud. So that's a really important way in which this helps Microsoft. The other thing is 5G 5G improvements for xCloud. You know, people who have used xCloud seem to all be surprisingly really impressed with it, with how steady it is, how smooth it is, how few like hitches and and lags and frame rate dips and and things like that there are. But we're only so far, you know, here in the States having 4G uh, and and just varying degrees of Wi-Fi depending on where you are. Um, However, you know, 5G is the the next evolution in, in, uh, in internet speed and hopefully Microsoft can get their hands on this technology earlier uh, before it really becomes like a, a mainstream kind of consumer thing throughout, you know, North America and here in, in the U.S. particularly. And they can kind of mess with this technology and improve it so that by the time it kind of comes to market, they'll have already kind of figured out all the kinks and bumps. And xCloud will be something that really works great with um, on 5G networks. So in those regards, I really see this being a great get for Microsoft. And it's just important to see Microsoft kind of beat Sony in particular to the punch with getting their brand streaming in Asia. Uh, so, for example, I, I really think Sony is kind of rebranding their uh, PlayStation Now service, and they're going to try to make it more of like a what PlayStation Now currently is, paired with like a Games Pass kind of knockoff thing, um, and kind of retool that and rebrand it to kind of compete with Game Pass and Project X Cloud. But if Microsoft can beat Sony to the punch and really introduce uh, their Project X Cloud to Asian markets, namely like Korea and China, before, you know, Sony gets there, then they can have a real edge over the competition, which would help, you know, a, a company that's historically always been not even considered compared to Sony in Asia. So that would be really helpful for Microsoft. Not to mention uh, Google Stadia, which while most of us here are laughing it off stage uh, in the United States, Google Stadia has the potential to be something like quite powerful um, in Asian markets, especially China and Korea. Uh, like, like I said, where you know people are playing video games almost exclusively on computers and self and smart devices. You know, not not really gaming hardware. So streaming, while while video game streaming is something that we don't really see as the definitive future, especially here in North America, um, it has the potential to be the definitive future for uh, gaming markets like in Asia. So again, this is just a really good opportunity, despite whether or not this really pans out and really works out. I think it's really important for Microsoft to test these markets and to try to be first and be the best in these markets before companies like Google and Sony get in there and and really start giving them a lot of competition. Our next story is uh, WWE superstar Dave Batista has announced um, that he will be a playable character in the Gears 5 multiplayer coming out this week. So now we're back to Gears 5, um, but this is just uh, solid news, not any speculation or, or wondering or anything. Uh, so Batista made the announcement via his personal Twitter account this week, and an accompanying trailer for the uh, for the announcement was launched alongside. Batista will sport Marcus Phoenix's armor in multiplayer, which is only fitting as Batista has publicly expressed his desire to play Phoenix on the silver screen in that still-in-development Gears of War movie. Batista is notable in the film's industry for his role as Drax in the wildly popular Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Batista recorded over 700 lines for Gears 5, so expect a lot of his personality to be injected into the game's multiplayer. To unlock this character in multiplayer, all you gotta do is play the game before October 28th. Any version of the game will allow this extra to be unlocked, whether it's the Standard Edition, Game Pass Ultimate, Ultimate Edition, what have you. So yeah, this is one of those like more like announcement stories, cool to read, not really anything to speculate, uh, but I think this is really interesting because 
because Dave Batista has been like very vocal about his love for Gears, uh, Gears of War, his desire to play Marcus Phoenix in uh, a movie adaptation. So I think it's only fitting that, you know, we've already made the multiplayer so wacky by adding Terminator characters, Halo Reach characters. Why not just throw, you know, the guy that plays Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy in there and just make it wacky? I really love stuff like this. Uh, I love how it seems like, especially in the past five to ten years we've really seen game developers kind of re-embrace how wacky video games are um, you know like Gears of War is a rather serious story you know when, when you look at it from a campaign perspective but I like that like you know the multiplayer doesn't have story it's just it's just goofy combat it's just fun so I like to see companies like the coalition really embrace that aspect of games and just say you know multiplayer is dumb fun it's not canonical it's not tied into the campaign in any way let's just Let's just be stupid and throw Dave Batista in there and let you play as him and fight a bunch of, you know, fight a bunch of robots and shit. So that's pretty exciting um, if you're interested in that. And I'm also interested to see how his dialogue works out because they're touting over 700 lines recorded. I don't know if that means over 700 lines will be in the game, but I'm interested to see like the kind of one liners and things they've recorded for him and how that will just kind of be uh, make make the multiplayer experience even wackier and more fun than it already will be. So there's that to look forward to. Our next bit of serious news is that Ikumi Nakamura, the creative director of Ghostwire Tokyo, who became instantly famous during E3 this year for being a bubbly Japanese woman, which appeals to all the pervy gamer guys out there, she has decided to leave Studio Tango Gameworks and publisher Bethesda. The announcement came through her personal Twitter feed in which she tweeted, quote, after nine years as creative director and art director at Tango and Zenimax, I felt here is one of ends of the journeys. I learned from the talented people I've worked with and I respect. Contact me if anyone wants to work with me, end quote. For whatever reason, Nakamura included a link to her LinkedIn account uh, in her departure announcement. So, you know, all those little greasy, white, pervy dudes will be hitting her up on uh, LinkedIn now. Um, and in a statement to IGN, Bethesda confirmed that she was indeed leaving the studio. Uh, and they said, quote, uh, we can confirm that Nakamura-san has decided to leave Tango and we wish her the best of luck in whatever is next for her. Bethesda said, Tango continues to be led by the legendary Shinji Mikami and his talented team in the development of uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. We look forward to sharing more uh, on what they're creating in the coming months, end quote. Uh, so Ghostwire Tokyo is an upcoming game from Tango Ghostworks, the team behind both the Evil Within 1 and 2, and the studio is led by uh, Shinji Mikami, who is famous for his help in the... Um, He's one of the original creators of Resident Evil, uh, possibly most well-known for Resident Evil 4. That one was kind of his baby in particular, and people love uh, Resident Evil 4. But Nakamura-san uh, previously worked as a concept artist on uh, Bayonetta and as an environmental artist on Okami. Um, so she's worked on some pretty notable games. Uh, but what's really interesting about this story is, of course, kind of the untimely and just odd departure. You know, she came out and announced Ghostwire Tokyo on stage this past E3. That game, the announcement at least, was met with like a lot of praise and acclaim. People seemed really excited about this game. Um, and she was instantly just like attached to the project as like the the poster child, the kind of like Hideo Kojima of, of Ghostwire Tokyo. So... It's weird to see that she's leaving. Um, this leads me, this like kind of weird, untimely announcement kind of leads me to believe there was, you know, some behind the scenes going on to, that would make her leave. A, a couple of reasons for this, you know, first of all, in Japanese culture, 
allow allow me to explain Japanese culture to you guys real quick. But in Japanese culture, it's not as common for people to kind of jump around from job to job. Uh, it's a little more of an, like the the normalcy for people to kind of find a, a company they work for and they stay with them throughout the majority of their life. Whereas you know a lot of, a lot of times here in the states, people kind of work at a company for a few years, move on, try to try to diverse diversify their portfolio and their kind of resume. Um, so. You know, if someone who's this, not to say she's not a seasoned member of the game community, but, you know, someone at her age, rather young, to be leaving a studio like this, um, especially in the middle of what is potentially, like, the biggest game she's ever been a part of, is just, you know, it's telling that something's happening, something behind the scenes, whether she's not happy with the product or there's some kind of, like, studio drama forcing her out. Uh, but for whatever reason, you know, she's gone. And so I don't know that that is necessarily like a red flag for if this game is going to be good or if there's like some development trouble going on. Uh, but I think it's definitely, at least in relation to her role on the project, is telling to either whether she was happy with how things were turning out or she just wasn't maybe getting the kind of developmental impact on the game that she was looking for, maybe I, I, I don't know. I'd, it'd be all speculation to get into specifics, but um, just interesting that she would leave so impromptly in the middle of the game's development, especially when, you know, this isn't like a few weeks ago when when that, uh, when that the creative director of Halo Infinite left and he wasn't really a public figure for the game. This is like someone, like I said, like the Kojima of Ghostwire Tokyo. This was someone people associated the game with this person's face. So kind of a big deal that they're leaving, if anything, just for the kind of association that this person now has with this game. And also just because she was, she had a, a large role on, on the game. She was the creative director, you know? So hopefully this doesn't really affect the game all that much. And of course, wishing her the best in all of her future endeavors. But I would just be, I guess, if I were looking forward to this game, I would be kind of on on alert as to what this means for the future of this game. I think it's absolutely still coming. Um, but I, I do worry that maybe something's happening development-wise that, that made her unhappy and forced her out and made her want to leave. Um, hopefully someday we get a little more behind the scenes on this story because I am interested, you know, like I said, with the kind of general nature of like how people work in the Japanese um, kind of in Japanese culture, kind of to see how this really played out and to see what her reasons were for leaving. So hopefully that's a story we get sometime in the future. But for now, uh, just know that that game is having a little bit of a shift because it lost its creative director and art director. All right. Our next story is unfortunately about more Plants vs. Zombies. So remember that Plants vs. Zombies game that kept popping up every couple of weeks in the news cycle? Well, it's back, and now it has a name, or I guess it had a name a few weeks ago. It's called Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborhood, and the Founders Edition is out now. The game will run you 30 bucks, and it's available in the Founders Edition until September 30th. This introductory edition nets players six weeks of content releases, which should last until the proper edition releases on October 18th. I seriously no longer understand why or how video games work, but this could have just been a a beta but whatever now you can buy it early and get exclusive content until the game really comes out whatever the game has um, multiplayer exploration modes couch co-op and even after trying to break down the trailer that i watched two times I'm still not quite sure what it is but it's some kind of multiplayer kind of fun platform game not platform like mario bros but platform like uh, games as a service type multiplayer game and you know you can get in on it now if you want to i mean okay to kind of back up what i said earlier though i think a lot of the times the reason why games get these founders packs is because publishers or developers or maybe both worry that 
the game they're releasing won't find an audience on its own. So they look for a way to get it into people's hands early and cheap so that they can kind of establish some kind of player base and some kind of buzz around the game before it has an official release so that they can kind of capitalize on that and use it as a way to tell other people, hey, this game's out now, and, you know, it didn't really have a lot of buzz or kind of attention surrounding it when we announced it, but thanks to the fact that some people have been able to play it for a couple weeks or months has allowed us to kind of garner an audience for it preemptively so that when the game comes out, we can kind of assure that it finds its audience and doesn't totally fall on its face and fail uh, which I wouldn't expect to be a problem for the Plants vs. Zombies series anyway, because the Garden Warfare games seem to do very well. And then, of course, you know, the classic games, which have nothing to do with these games, um, also do very well. So the brand alone kind of carries a weight with it. But I, that's my hunch as to why things like this happen. Otherwise, you know, why don't we just do like free open betas or like demos or anything like that anymore? I don't I don't understand the way games work anymore. Did you know that Fortnite is still technically not released? Fortnite, like the biggest game of all time. It like it came out in beta and it's they never talked about it after that. It's just I think that game is still technically in beta. What like what the fuck is happening with video games? But anyway, Plants vs Zombies, a new one out now. If you want to go play it, or I guess not out, but available to play, but not officially out. But you still have to pay for it. So there's that. Now, if you want to play something that is out and you can spend money on it and it's like legitimate, Minecraft and Disney have teamed up to release an all new DuckTales adventure map and it's available now. This mashup pack lets players explore iconic locales from the show, including Duckburg, McDuck Mansion, the Pyramid of Tothra, and uh, Mount Neverest. Play as Huey, Dewey, Louie, Webby, and any of the other 30 characters available, including my personal favorite, Darkwing Duck. The DuckTales adventure map consists of two storylines that include multiple quests and mysteries all from all around the world. Solve puzzling puzzles, race to riches, or parkour your way through treasures as you investigate long forgotten places in ancient areas. Gather up to 50 collectibles like artifacts and valuable objects and put them on display in the McDuck trophy room or spend hours counting your spoils in the money bin as you accumulate wealth throughout the map. So the new DuckTales adventure map is out now i never really noticed you know i've never paid too much attention to these adventure maps i never really realized how much of the game it overhauls and really adds to minecraft so that's half the reason why i felt like this was newsworthy the other half just being that i, I like ducktales so that's pretty cool that's out now if you want to check it out uh, but additionally keeping you know keeping with minecraft minecraft earth is now uh, doing a closed beta exclusively on android so from windows central uh, the article reads minecraft earth is now holding a closed beta on android devices the catch well you have to be in london seattle tokyo stockholm or mexico city in order to take part in this beta minecraft earth is an augmented reality game that makes the traditional Minecraft building blocks you know and love with real-world environments. This beta update will also add new forms of in-game currency, rubies. These allow players to build plates during the beta. Rubies can either be earned in-game or purchased through microtransactions. Yay, microtransactions. Rubies will be tied to your Xbox Live account and will remain with you after early access period ends so you can use them in the official release of the game. And now we're back to uh, 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 games that are out but aren't out yet. According to Mojang, most of the previous rules of the iOS uh, beta, which rolled out in the middle of July, apply to the Android beta. 
players must sign up in order to receive the invite for the closed beta. Afterwards, you'll need to log in once every seven days to keep your account active. If you're not sure whether your Android phone can run Minecraft Earth, go check online. They have like a rules guide to see what phones and what processors and whatnot, what the, the kind of specs for it are. Um, the game, it will roll out to iOS and Android worldwide at a yet to be announced date. Minecraft Earth is currently in closed beta. I worry for this game a little bit. It's weird. Minecraft has seemed to kind of get this random resurgence all of a sudden you know it's like minecraft was the absolute biggest game when it came out and it just kept growing and growing and growing getting massive um and then it seemed like as fortnite kind of came around and started doing its thing minecraft started to wane in popularity a little bit you know it was always doing well it's not like minecraft was hurting or like Microsoft made the mistake in buying Minecraft at a bad time when it was like dipping in popularity. However, it's just like just randomly in the past six months to a year just seemed to like have this resurgence where people are just kind of coming back to Minecraft. So it went from like the biggest thing in the world to like pretty big, but not the biggest thing to like getting back up there as the biggest thing again. I don't know what's happening, but um, so with that alone, I feel like that should be able to carry Minecraft Earth and and make people want to check it out when it comes out, you know, in its final form on iOS and Android. Um, but I do worry, you know, things like the bad taste in everyone's mouth left from Pokemon Go or that new Harry Potter AR game that kind of came out and fell on space. If things like that will maybe hurt Minecraft Earth and hold it back from being as popular as it can be, or if maybe the Minecraft name on its own can can kind of keep it afloat and kind of help it carve out its own audience. Uh, not to say that Pokemon Go doesn't do well. It still, even to this day, does pretty well. But, you know, that game came out and it was a massive phenomenon for two weeks. And then 90% of its audience realized how fucking stupid it was and stopped playing. And then a couple of other nerds just kept it alive ever since then. Uh, but the Harry Potter one, you know, I thought was like a total shoo-in for a successful mobile game because it had the Harry Potter IP attached to it. Um, but, you know, that game came out, I think, this, this past summer. And it kind of just fell flat and nobody gave a shit. So... You know, if it can happen to Harry Potter, it makes me wonder, can it happen to Minecraft? Um, and, of course, of course, it can happen, but I just, I, I wonder for this for this game, you know, will it find its audience, will it be successful? I think for Minecraft, it makes more sense to do a game like this than a game like Harry Potter, especially because not only is this a little different from, like, your Harry Potter Go or Pokemon Go or whatever the fuck these games are called, but it, it kind of makes natural sense to take the kind of creativity and the kind of building aspect of Minecraft and allow you to be able to translate that in an AR kind of more open world sense. Another thing I will note is if you'll remember back a few E3s ago uh, when Microsoft was showing off the capabilities of HoloLens technology and gaming, they showed a HoloLens like Minecraft AR type build, which never really materialized into a game or at least something for HoloLens. However, I wonder if that was kind of the early incubation, kind of the early premise for what ultimately became Minecraft Earth. You never know. I, I wonder if maybe the success of Pokemon Go had them shift the focus from HoloLens to iOS and Android. But I mean, you know, the the tech demo they showed was never really announced to be a, a, an actual game. It was more of just just that, a tech demo. HoloLens, despite the fact that people think it never came out, has been out for a long time and is getting a second iteration. It is just more of a enterprise kind of device and not so much a consumer device. But that's a huge tangent. Uh, it's a different conversation for a different day. But yeah, Minecraft Earth, hopefully that game should be out like in its final form soon. Um, as someone who really doesn't give a shit about mobile gaming, I am actually really curious to give this game a try because I think, I don't know, I just think this is a natural fit for Minecraft. I think this is kind of, you know, even if it is like kind of a riff off Pokemon Go, which I, I really don't think it is, I think that Minecraft is kind of a perfect fit for this genre and this kind of, this kind of lateral move, um, if you will. So 
excited to see what this game kind of turns into be turns out to be once it's fully released but get in on that closed beta if you live in one of those uh five cities I just named. Didn't think I would spend that much time talking about Minecraft. So now let's get into our final wrap-up story of the day, and that is that Ubisoft Vice President believes Steam's business model is, quote, unrealistic and doesn't reflect where the world is today in terms of games distribution. Ubisoft's Vice President of Partnership and Revenue, Chris Early, said in a recent New York Times interview that he believes that Steam's current business model is unrealistic. Ubisoft has been quick to switch over to having their PC games be available through the Epic Store rather than Steam. A recent example of Ubisoft's avoidance of Steam is their exclusive PC availability of The Division 2 only on uh, the Epic Store and as well as through Ubisoft's own Uplay service. When a game is sold on Steam, owner Valve gets a 30% cut of the profits, whereas games sold on the Epic Store only hold a 12% cut for owner Epic. Of course, if Ubisoft sells a game on their own Uplay service, they earn 100% of the profits from the game sold. While Epic while the Epic Store has picked up a lot of attention and its young history, uh, the PC market is mostly dominated by Valve's Steam service. Even Microsoft's Xbox service and Microsoft Store, which were which are literally baked into Windows 10, still don't hold a candle to the success of Steam. So I think Ubisoft's kind of outspokenness about Valve comes from this kind of tough space. This is a conversation I'm, I'm really passionate about in the games industry that I think gamers are just incredibly... Uh, neglectful of and kind of ignorant of which is and, and, and most importantly i think gamers are just selfish towards this fact honestly is the rising cost of game development games cost less to buy now more than they ever have in the history of the world so many games are free to play so many games are like cost almost nothing and then you get in there and and the only way they make money is by you sticking around and buying things like microtransactions uh, so many games drop price faster than ever before and most importantly games come out at $60 you know $60 is nothing for a game and I know people like to act like it breaks the bank every time they have to buy a $60 game but the reality of it is $60 in 2019 doesn't doesn't get you what $60 got you in 2005 when the Xbox 360 first launched and games were $60 for the first time in history. So when you take into account inflation, games are super cheap right now. And that really doesn't help when, you know, game development costs are at an all-time high. And what I mean by this is, again, go back to 2005 when the Xbox 360 came out. I mean, obviously, games were more expensive to make than ever before at that time because, you know, making games in HD was a whole new feat for developers. Um, it definitely made things a little more technically um, difficult and time-consuming to pull off. But, you know, games were like... Dude, I think about, like, Xbox 360 launch games. You had, like, Project Gotham Racing 2, Tony Hawk's American Wasteland, shit like that. And, and you know, like, I love those games. No offense to those games. But it's like, those games are way easier to develop than you know, a game in 2019 where every game has to be a fucking open world game because all the fucking greasy little game nerds insist that if a game's not open world, it's not worth their time. If a game can't net them 400 plus hours of, of free content, then the game is shitty and a developer, a developer should go kill themselves, you know? So I, I just think this is an important thing for Ubisoft to actually be outspoken about because these games they make are so expensive. When you think about a Far Cry, a Division 2, any kind of Ubisoft game, these games cost millions and millions of dollars. Uh, and, and, they, and they span teams that exist across the globe and they take years to develop and the technology and everything that goes into these games is just, it's so time consuming. It's so expensive. It's such a labor of love. And yet, you know, gamers selfishly look at this and just go, uh, $60 for a game and it doesn't look like the most innovative, like mind blowing fucking product ever. Ah, fuck that. It's not worth $60. And of course the consumer, you know, holds the right to buy what they're interested in and to, and to let the market speak for itself in that regard. But it's just so infuriating to me when 
there is no there's no kind of respect or sympathy for these people who put their lives works into these games and then people just write them off as uh, the game's too expensive or it's not worth $60 when, you know, the reality of it is, you know, developers put all their hard time and work, all this hard time and money into making a game happen and then they sell the game on a platform like Steam, Valve takes 30% of the profit and then Ubisoft is left with 60% and, or sorry, rather 70% and then that has to get split between, you know, publishing and then developers and all this shit and it's just... When you really break down the profits of a video game, you know the people at the end of the day making the game aren't really, aren't really getting paid what what they should for what they're making. And now that's not to say that you know game developers don't make healthy salaries. Plenty of game developers, especially ones working for big studios uh, like Ubisoft-owned studios, are making great money. But they don't. That's not to say they don't work their asses off for it, and that's not to say that they aren't deserving of more. So just I don't know, just something to keep in mind. Steam's not really a viable. Not to say that Steam's not a viable platformer. I mean, Steam has proven itself to be a great place for indie developers over the years. Although I would argue it's not so much that anymore, being as crowded as it is. But this is Ubisoft really speaking up, kind of on their behalf as well as what I believe to be the behalf of other game developers and other game publishers, which is that you know losing thirty percent of every game sold is outrageous. A huge benefit to selling your games digitally is that publishers and developers can keep larger margins of the profit, right? They can have larger profit margins because they don't have to sell to a retailer and give them a cut, you know, Walmart's, Best Buy's, GameStop's, or what have you. They can just keep more of the profit because they're just uploading their game basically to a digital service and having people pay money to download it. However, I mean, just it doesn't make sense for, for Valve to get 30% of the game because it's not like... You know, it's not like it really is costing them that much on their end to allow someone to sell a game on their service. So it's it's kind of an arbitrary number, which is why it's more appealing for Ubisofts and, and other companies to start selling their games through Epic, where, you know, you get to keep an additional 18% of that profit by choosing to sell through Epic. Now, what makes this hard, of course, for for these developers and publishers is that people are just so stingy on on playing specifically on Steam, which I get it. It's convenient to have all your games in one in one place. But I mean, like, I just can't imagine a world where the Epic Store doesn't start really eating into Valve's market share as more and more developers and publishers start to jump over to Epic because, hey, they can make more money. You know, maybe fewer people will buy Ubisoft's next game because it's not available on Steam. It's only available on Epic. But guess what? They'll eventually make up the cost as more people jump ship and as they save more money by selling through a platform where they get to retain more of their sales uh, versus you know valve where they lose 30 percent of their profit that's a huge margin dude but yeah i mean and just i i I don't know this is one of those stories i kind of wanted to read it and you know from a gamer's perspective it might be easy to be like oh fuck off ubisoft because we all love steam right and i don't mean to speak ill of steam i like steam i think steam's a great platform I think it's really helped innovate and show as an example what these gaming platforms should be. But I totally, I totally am sympathetic to Ubisoft's argument that just 30% is just an untenable number. It's just unrealistic to expect that. And and more so from you, you know, your Ubisofts, your EAs, your Activisions, who are gonna do fine either way because those companies make billions of dollars. Think about your your indie developers, your your smaller game studios that pour their hearts and their in their in their lives and all their all their money into making these games a reality, and then it goes up on Steam and it sells like shit, and they only get seventy percent of the profit from it because Valve Valve is taking a huge cut. That's just untenable, especially for your smaller developers. So yeah, so I don't know. I just think this is just an ex- extreme. I just think this is Ubisoft kind of speaking up um, and saying the right thing, honestly. Um, and hopefully, you know, this forces the hand of Valve eventually and makes Steam kind of 
lower their cut from games sold because you know it's not like Valve is hurting they're making hand over fist money for this service that they built and basically do nothing but maintain it because um, God knows they're not making video games anymore. So whatever. I just think that's an interesting. It's an interesting story that strikes a really important conversation that I think a lot of the gaming community either isn't aware of or just doesn't care about. And so um, it's just cool to. It's cool that Ubisoft, such a big name, is is bringing kind of more attention to that. All right, and that's going to do it for the news. That last one was extremely long. Got a little carried away with myself. But now let's uh, talk about this week's Games with Gold. It is September now, so we've got all new games this month. Uh, so I'd like to talk to you about those games. Those games are going to be Hitman, the complete first season, uh, which is our first Xbox One game that is available all month long from September. Uh, through September 30th Um, so you can go ahead and download that uh, on your Xbox One our other Xbox One game is Earth Defense Force 2025 which is available until September 15th and that is uh, well sorry that's actually an Xbox 360 Xbox One game Uh, so it is backwards compatible Um, if you've never played one of those games I highly recommend it they're super goofy wacky action games and they're actually quite a, a big a great deal of fun so Definitely check that one out if you just like wacky fighting, like shooting, destruction games. Our next game is Tekken Tag Tournament 2, an Xbox 360 game, which is available for the second half of September from the 16th through the 30th. So if you like fighty games, you can go ahead and get that. And then our final game, which is the other Xbox One game, is We Were Here, uh, which is a $5 kind of indie game that I've never heard about. Uh, It's available from the middle of September through October 15th. So you can go ahead and get that if you want to find out whatever the hell that game's all about. Uh, Those are your games with gold for the month of September. So, you know, even if you just want to claim them and then not download them, that way you have them saved to your profile and you get to keep them even if you're out of storage space on your Xbox. I highly recommend doing that because free games are free games. And now we'll wrap up today with going through the new game releases of the week. So this month there are a total of 13 games coming to Xbox, uh, but only one that you really care about, which is, of course, you know, Gears of War 5. Just kidding. It's um, post-war dreams. Anyway, our first game this this week is called Torchlight 2. You may remember Torchlight 1 was a Games with Gold game last month, so seems like that was a pretty intentional thing. I, I don't know. I've never played these games. They're kind of like um, Diablo-like games. People seem to be really into them. But this one is Xbox One X Enhanced. It's out now, and the reason why I think you should play it is because unlike Diablo, um, in this game, instead of going to hell to fight, you bring hell you are hell, you bring hell to you because there's fire all over the screenshots. So that's pretty cool. But Final Fantasy VIII Remastered comes out this week. It is Xbox One X Enhanced. But it is important to note that this is false advertisement. Just because the game is Xbox One X Enhanced doesn't mean it will take away all the disgusting, quirky, pervy, gross little anime shit that the game has. So you can enhance the Xbox One X all you want. The game's still going to suck ass. So if you're a fucking nerd, if you like being a little nerd, if you have no friends, if you have no life, if you like being sweaty um, and reading anime and laying in your own filth, then you can absolutely play Final Fantasy VIII Remastered. Just know that I will judge you, and you are an absolute loser. Uh, our next game is called Gaiji Charenji 1, Kill or Lost. Uh, and that name is so stupid that I refuse to give it any more attention. So that's a game. And then the next game is Post-War Dreams, which I already told you is the best game coming out this week. This is a game where you bleed into the wall. You you live, you're stuck in the walls. It's very gritty. It's a very gritty game. It's not very colorful. Um, but every gun has a reticle, which is like shining the light. And what I like about this, you know, the picture shows there's a guy with a gun. He's aiming up and he's pointing at another guy. That guy's pointing back at him. And then there's a third guy pointing at the guy, point, the first guy pointing at the other guy. And all of them have these red dot little reticle things aiming at one another. 
And I like this because it's kind of a, a point that, you know, when you hold the gun, it doesn't matter if you're the good guy or the bad guy. We're all responsible for shining a light. And I think what this game really, like, at the core of this game, what it's really about is showing that the person with the gun in their hands, for better or for worse, is the one who's shining light on the subject matter. So there's really something quite provocative and kind of inspirational about someone with a gun in their hands. And this game really, really seeks to challenge that question um, and to see how far they can go to discover, you know, how enlightened we are by having guns. And I think it's really a great, a really great game. I think everyone should have a gun. Yeah, guns are cool. And then uh, Hemo is the next game. Uh, this game is called Hemo. Uh, because it's about a boy named he mo if it were about a girl the female version of this game would be called her mo so this game is only for boys and according to the description according to just the first three words of the description it is a non-violent uh, so i won't read any more about it because i think that gives you everything you need to know it's a male game about being non-violent and as we all know men are never violent so i really appreciate that game um for just being awesome our next game is called monochrome order this is a game uh where it looks very like old JRPG style, like an SNES game, an NES game, an SNES game probably. Um, there's like an anime boy with very long hair, and he's talking. So it shows a text bubble. It says, wow, ellipsis. You wouldn't believe he's just uh, been appointed, despite his arrogance. So this game is probably just about arrogant people, you know, arrogant anime boys. Um, and anime boys are very arrogant usually because they have really nice hair. And when you have nice hair, it kind of gets to your head. I just think that, if you're an arrogant anime boy, you should probably play that game um, or get over yourself. The next game is called Throne Quest Deluxe. This looks like a demake of uh, those Pokemon Dungeon Explorer games. Um, so if you're a fucking nerd, you can play that. Uh, if you're a greasy Nintendo DS fan, you go ahead and you, you go ahead and waste your time with that. The next game is called River City Girls. It comes out September 5th, which is today. So play it today. This is a game where you play as some anime girls who throw uh, boxes at cops. I think it's a game about police brutality and how there are too many women attacking police, um, which I think is a really important conversation. We don't have enough, especially um, in, in, in the U.S. in particular, where cops are just being beat up by women too much. And we focus all this attention on police brutality when really it's like we're not we're not really showing police the respect they deserve as, you know, yeah, sure. Sometimes police are beating on innocent civilian civilians. Right. But when they go home. Those police could have abusive wives at home beating them. So it's nothing is ever as black and white as it seems, you know, just because there is a cop out there who commits an evil act of violence, you know, that doesn't mean that that cop is an evil person. It means probably behind the evil actions of that cop is a broken, vulnerable person who's been beaten up and, and physically abused in their own home. So I think what this game really gets at is the idea that rather than disciplining cops who kind of break the rules and, and display unjust acts of physical violence, we should follow those police officers home and see if they have wives at home that are beating them. Because, you know, behind, behind the, the, what is that quote? Behind the, at the end of every accusing man's finger is a woman. Yeah. Uh, Gears 5 Ultimate Edition comes out September 6th. Uh, it is also available in the non-Ultimate Edition. And so Gears 5, I literally have no idea what this game could be about, but it does say it is an Xbox One X enhanced game. It is an Xbox Game Pass Ultimate game, and it's an Xbox Play Anywhere game. So that leads me to believe this game is going to be available on Xbox. 
uh, anywhere on Xbox. So you can plug your Xbox into a car, you can plug it into a house, you can plug it into a parking garage, you can plug it into an office building, and you'll be able to play this Gears 5 Ultimate Edition. Um, this game shows a lot of shooty boys and a lot of monsters, and I feel like, you know, by going over the weekly release games, it, it seems to be a common theme is that there's a lot of humans versus monsters, um, which gets at, you know, the core of like humans. We're all just trying to fight our inner monster and to kind of overcome our own demons um, inside of us. So I respect that game. But again, I what do I know? I really don't know anything about this game. I don't know if I recommend checking it out. Uh, I'm still pretty fixated on that um, post-war dreams game so that's going to be my recommendation for this week but we do have four more games to wrap up with and that is one monster hunter world iceborne this is not a new game i believe this is an expansion um so i really don't appreciate or maybe it is a new game i don't know who cares monster hunters for nerds and i love how i played that game for like five years on wii and no one gave a shit about it and then they released it on playstation and now it's cool i'm glad people are finally enjoying monster hunter but the thing is, it's out on Xbox One X Enhanced. So Creature in the Wall is our, our next game coming out. So this game is a game about, like, someone... There's, like, a guy with a sword. There's, like, a... He's in, like, a Star Wars land or something. And there's, like, an open door. So I don't understand how the creatures are in the fucking wall if it's an open environment. But that's stupid. And it's available on PC so you can play it. Uh, NBA 2K20 is out. So this game is really cool, actually. I'm... As someone who's not traditionally an NBA fan or a basketball boy fan, I really like NBA 2K20 because they really updated everything from last year. So last year, the game was pretty much just straightforward. Like, you play basketball. But this year, it's really cool because this time you play basketball and all the characters are different. So, like, um, they're, vi they're different characters and they have, like, different jerseys. And they're updated um, and they have cool music in them. Um, so this is going to really be, like... I don't know, like, maybe to the untrained eye, this may seem like just another version of last year's game. Like, if you don't play, if you're not very familiar with basketball games, you might think, oh, it's just the same as every other NBA 2K game. But that's really not the case because actually everything in this game is different. I can't go into detail because it would take too much time. We don't have enough time on this podcast. But every, I mean, NBA 2K20, if you bought 2K19, 18, 17, what have you. Um, and thought, you know, I don't need to get this year's game, th this year's entry because it's it's going to be basically more of the last. I got to tell you, you're a fucking idiot if you think that way because this game couldn't be more different. It's just so much new content, so many new ways to play basketball, so many new players to play as basketball. And in this game, I heard there's a mode called Be the Ball where you, you literally just play as the ball. So I'm really excited to see how that pans out. In our last game this week, it's called A Restless Hero. That is all I'll say about that because it looks like an indie game, and I have no respect for independent developers because they don't make as much money as big publishers like EA, money, money, money. All right, so that's it for this week. Uh, if you want to know what game I've been playing, I've been playing nothing. I've been playing Hide from the Fucking Hurricane because I live in Florida, and we were supposed to have a hurricane, and then it didn't come, and so I look like an idiot because I bought all this water, and there's no fucking hurricane. But uh, I was going to play Metro Exodus, because I really wanted to play more of that. Uh, and then I was going to get back to it today, now that the hurricane's over. But instead, we're getting Gears of War 5, so I'm going to play that instead, and then come back to Metro Exodus. And I recommend you do the same. And if you're not playing those exact two games, you're an idiot. And if you're playing Control, you have no self-control, because we already talked about how you can't play that game until after it drops in price because the PlayStation version is getting all that, that bonus content for free. So remember, show some self-control and don't play control until it's cheap. And I think that's a great place to drop off for this week. For all of you listening at home, 
This is this is Rob Schneider signing off. Thank <music> you.